Welcome to Work Mom Says Don't Be an Idiot. And now, here's your host, Work Mom. Hello, I'm Lori Joe Best, and this is Work Mom Says Don't Be an Idiot. The reason I'm doing this podcast is because I've spent the last 30 years of my career learning about the emotional contact sport that is business. I've made so many mistakes, and I decided I needed to share what I learned the hard way and maybe spare someone else those difficulties and all that drama. Um, I became work mom a few years back when I realized how much I love working with people in their 20s and 30s, helping them navigate difficult situations at work. I spent a lot of my time in, um, in my career as a sales, in a sales capacity of some sort or another. And sales is really focused on, on creating positive relationships. And so a lot of what you'll hear on Work Mom Says is around creating positive relationships with people that you work with, whether it's a coworker, a senior leader, um, you know, somebody that works for you. Business is really all about connected, positive relationships, and that's what we're here to talk about. But one of the things I want to start off with is introducing you to everybody who's here today. Uh, We're recording using video conferencing with this episode because it's late March of 2020, and we're all dealing with this whole coronavirus thing. So if the audio is a bit wonky, now you know why. So let me introduce everybody. It's definitely not not my fault. That's Randy Stevenson. He's our audio dude, hey and uh, he's here with us every episode. Um, he's our color commentator, I like to call him, and a good friend from 20, 30 years. Um, and also, we have here today Brock Goodman. Brock has been with us before. Say hi, Brock. Hello. Thank you for having me. And then we've got Gia, Gia Palazzolo, who is a uh, another work mom. She's actually a mom to dogs, and I'm sure has at least... Five or six younger people that look to her for some kind of advice as she goes through her days. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about what you do, Brock. I am an art director. Um, I work in the agency world here in Detroit. Um, I do a bunch of things. I co-run a gallery space in Hamtramck in my free time. Not so much right now with this coronavirus, but... um, Yeah, I'm I'm an art director, musician, all around creative, hanging out in the city. In Detroit, if you're not, yes. if you don't know where we're located, um, <laughs> and Gia, tell us about what you do. Well, I'm um I'm what I like to call a brand storyteller. Uh, I've been in the corporate communications world for about 25, 26 years ish, um, primarily in the automotive industry, and. Um, uh, similar to Brock, I've been in the agency world on and off in between the corporate world and um, lived internationally. I've lived in London, lived and worked in London, um, lived and worked in Thailand and Bangkok, uh, lived in Chicago for about a decade and recently moved back to Detroit to be closer to my family. And I'm on my own. I'm on my own helping small businesses and startups learn a little bit more about how to uh tell their brand story through earned public relations. So um, that's my gig and I work from home. So life is pretty much the same for me these days. Gia <laughs> yeah, Palazzolo. Gia Palazzolo. That's an Irish name? A very Irish <laughs> and Polish. <laughs> right. <laughs> so this week we're going to talk about two, we always have two topics, breaking the rules and managing up. And we're talking about rules today. It's a it's a made up word. I actually am part of a book study, and if you've never done a book study, it's kind of awesome. Um, I'm doing one right now with a bunch of 
business coaches and you read a book and every week you have a half hour phone call about the chapter that you just read, talk through what, you know, what you learned out of that chapter and, you know, kind of really dig into the book and what it means to you as opposed to simply reading it. And we're doing a book study right now about a book called The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. And the guy that wrote it is Vishen Lakiani. I think that's how you pronounce it. And one of the things that he talks about that I absolutely love is rules. And rules are bullshit rules. <laughs> and he describes those as, right, the lies we choose to tell ourselves. We choose to believe them. Um, it can be based on childhood learnings, like how you were raised, our cultural norms about, you know, who you should marry or, you know, um, how you should live your life and how you go to, you should go to college and you should do all these things. They're either cultural norms or things that you learned as a child and created a lesson for yourself to make something make sense. And um, quote out of the book, a rule is a bullshit rule we adopt to simplify our understanding of the world. And we are indoctrinated into our culture as children and told all kinds of crazy things. So Brules, B-R-U-L-E-S, we have a new vocabulary word. So uh, write that one down. Um, one of mine, and I'll just, this is a lighter one, but there are some pretty heavy ones too. But one of mine is I'm the middle child. So in order to get attention, I had to work really hard and I talk really loud and I'm always looking to be the person everyone talks to in the room. So that's a rule I think that I learned as a middle child is that I have to be loud and do things to draw attention to myself. So Randy, Gia, Brock, do you guys have any rules that you can think of that are light and airy like that? Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. And a rule. <laughs> <laughs> Or all the, the having to go to college right after school, and now we have a shortage oh, in, in trades. You know, there's a shortage yeah. in trades because everybody went off to college, that's, even though it put them fifty thousand dollars in debt. Right? Oh my gosh, that's real. I sometimes, as much as like I, I love what I do and the the opportunities that I have right now, but I often, you know, when I'm down or in advertising, you often work and then you're out of work just because the nature of the business sometimes I wish that I had a very strong trade that I could fall back on just like there's nothing like not being on a computer too so it's like oh. I, I don't know I always have like a, a long um a longing for that kind of stuff I wish more people would go into those trades into the actual hands-on kind of things like we got ourselves into a place I think as a culture where if you don't have at least a bachelor's degree, then certain people will look down on you. Yeah. You know, and think it's less harder to get a job, right? Back then it was, you know, if you don't have a degree, you're not going to be able to compete for the for the really good jobs. Yeah. But on, yeah. on the same time, um, and I'm sorry because this is video, if like I like cut you off or, or something. Um, but at the same time, I feel like there's a lot of people too right now that are like, oh, you don't have a degree, but you spent like, six years in this uh this industry or whichever industry like kind of like muscling your way up and like using your connections and teaching yourself i feel like some people are starting to look for that too which is mm -hmm. really fascinating because i know a handful of people that were terrified to start college or um you know take on that those kind of uh that financial burden and then um they're getting pretty good jobs from like just being out in the world and connecting yes. and that's a really fascinating thing too but i feel like 
up until recently is very much like you need that degree and it's very intimidating for young people to get into the workforce. Mm-hmm. And then you have to take on all this debt, you know, yeah. which another thing that makes me nutty. I have a girlfriend who's in her 60s. I think she's probably 65. And we were on the phone the other day and she mentioned how one of the things that she always worries about is that she doesn't have a college degree. She's mm-hmm. been doing what she does for 40 years. She's totally. so good. And she's got something in her head that tells her she's not quite as good mm-hmm. because she doesn't have a college degree. Elitism. And I would never have known or even thought about that. But it's a rule, and it has been a rule that we hope to break. Um, and one of the things I really love about this book is it encourages you to really look at those bullshit rules that you follow that you might not have to follow. And I'll give you another example. Um, this is a little bit deeper um, that we are told when we get into the workplace how you feel about your boss, our culture scape, as this guy in this, you know, the author of this book talks about it. The culture scape teaches you that your boss is your superior. Your boss is, you know, is like your parent almost, right? Not really, but in a powerful position, more powerful than you. And that as an employee, you acquiesce to the boss, right? You acquiesce, you acquiesce, you show them respect, you do all kinds of things because they're the boss. And it's, it's really interesting that um, the way management and leadership is even changing, that people who are true leaders in our current business culture, which is changing, like, it's really going to change with this coronavirus, I think. But it's changing where the, these, these agile tenants and some of these different ways of leading are coming to the forefront. And what they say is that the leader should serve the employees, now, how many of us, Gia or Brock, step in, Randy, have you ever had a boss that was really domineering and you just acquiesced because that's what you, the rules tell you to do? Oh, yeah. I Actually, that was kind of racking my brain thinking of, like, what's a, a rule that that I hate? Like, I, I really don't like the notion of um, that, like, younger people, oh, man, like, I hate that. I would rather say like the expectation that like you have to leave when your, your boss does, or even though those are good things and you, it makes you look like you work really hard. But when you get on this weird gray area that your boss almost treats you like a servant, like that Mm -hmm. kind of thing bothers me. And I think it's a cycle that just, we should break. I think. So it's called command and control leadership. It's been around forever. And it really does, you're right, Brock, set people up to that your boss is superior to you and they get to decide how hard you're working. They get to decide, you know, what your life looks like. And there are still managers out there doing that. But as an employee, you don't have to tolerate it or you don't have to live in those rules. You don't have to put that manager in that high level, you know, powerful position while you are you know secondary to them and your needs are secondary to theirs i mean there are certain right. things i don't know if my team at the company i was at ever had an intern before and i just they you know they gave me like a nickname they're like oh junior and like <laughs> they i was even joking all the time like do you want me to get you coffee or whatever and they're like we're not gonna have you do that and it was just like they showed me such a love and respect and like it wasn't like you have to earn your competence they just knew that i would be taught it and it, I just thought it was so sweet because I I just went into my next job thinking oh that's like old school and then you see 
at the at a bigger agency that you know people are waiting on others like hand and foot i was just like it made me think of like there's just so much odd privilege there that i was like oh like you you're creating such a strange uh insecurity in someone when you're like making them be your servant like if you want them to one day rise to the task to be like a competent employee maybe that's just my opinion but um it's just weird you see it affect people emotionally in such a strange way when you make them um take that position when they're actually just ready to be a worker or your employee. It's really weird. Well, it's another way to take people's power. I mean, and, and it's interesting yeah. to me because when you use the word servant under command and control leadership, that's is what they pretty much taught their employees to be. Mm-hmm. I remember stories about a big automotive supplier that would actually, actually when he came into this company, they bought a bunch of companies and created another company and it was a factory environment. And he actually had the CEO was so command and control. He actually had them, you know, take anything that was above like four feet would have to be removed and eliminated from the plant floor because they wanted to be able to see everybody. And if they couldn't see you, they didn't trust that you were working. And in oh, plant that's such a... Yeah, it's so weird, right? But That's when you've got thousands healthy. of people, thousands and thousands, you're going to have your people that are going to be, you know, sneaking out to drink at lunch and stuff like that. That happens. Um, but the command and control leadership did make employees servants. Where now, in the new way of leading, it's servant leadership is what they're talking about, which means the leader serves the employees so that they can do their jobs. And Gia, you had something to say about that, I know, because you used to work in a, in a really traditional command and control environment, didn't you? Not just working, but really growing up in that environment, right? I mean, I, you know, I, I worked for a big, one of the big three automotive companies, and I was the fourth generation of my family mm. to be in that environment, yeah. including aunts and uncles and cousins that were in plants and in logistics and in engineering and racing and administrative and management. I mean, I, I was just steeped in it my whole entire life and many family Sunday dinners um, would sit at the table listening to all of my aunts and uncles right um, you know complaining and sharing stories about work and I was just sort of enveloped in it my whole life so it was natural that that became my career but you know Lori I haven't read this book and I actually I just bought it on, on audible because now, now I'm interested in reading it you oh, know awesome. you you got to think about management versus leadership in f- from a generational perspective, from a historical perspective. I mean, you think about the late nineteenth century of you know the industrial, the industrialization, you know, with the steels, steel mills, and the you know the railroad companies, and it was all about money and making profit and. And and how they treated their employees were like slaves, and then the unions were created to help to, um, you know, protect those types of things happening. And then laws were created to make sure that employees were covered. And blue-collar and white-collar rules are totally different. Blue-collar have the unions to support them and protect them. White-collars don't. There's an emotional detachment there, too, from a leadership perspective. Leadership as a concept is fairly new, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe 30, 35 years in terms of what a leader really is. And I I was taught that a leader, a true leader, surrounds themselves with people they know are smarter than them. Because their job as a whole is to make sure that everything is running smoothly. And if 
you know, if you're such a narcissist that you think you know everything, then you shouldn't be a leader at all. And I think what's happening is that the generations now are retiring out. Younger generations are coming in. You know, Lori, you know, people in our age group, we grew up professionally in the you know 80s, 90s when those kind of things were changing. So I think the old style leadership has to retire away and the new younger concept of leadership has to start coming in and that's going to change the whole culture. Mm-hmm. It really is. And those, though, there, those that don't understand that will get left behind. Their companies exactly. will get left behind. They won't be successful. And Brock, tell us a little bit about this. Brock, as a younger person, don't you have kind of different expectations? Like you probably wouldn't be able to work in some of the environments that GNI worked in 20, 30 years ago, where it really was like, you know, people coming down on you all the time and you were expected to be there at eight 30 in the morning and you couldn't leave until five and you were expected <laughs> to stay till six. And, and then you were treated a certain way and your generation, I think really expects something different and better. Am I correct? I think, or am I wrong here? Yeah. I think our generation definitely is empowered by technology and like kind of mobility. Um, like I, I can't say that I'm 100% in, in that kind of pool of people yet, but like, you know, I, I know a lot of people, like if they're fed up, like they'll just, they can leave because they might have like multiple like side hustles or like other connections that they can work well with. Um, it is definitely old school. Like for me, it's like, that's why I, I like wanted to go to college and like get an education because like having like a minimum wage job or something it's like you have people coming down on you all the time that like you just wanted to have like I guess like more of a hand in the work that you're doing other than just being ordered around and like Mm -hmm. kind of like being mindless not that it's mindless work but like a a routine based um work yeah more repetitive mindless You know, and you were told when, you know, we were all told that going to college would help you get that better job. You know, so that's what we did. But talking about, it's really interesting that you brought up narcissists, Gia, because sticking with this, this rules topic, um, I grew up with the rules that, again, the boss was the boss and you did what the boss needed you to do and you kowtowed to the boss and you did, you know, whatever you had to. Well, I've been really digging into, to my own history with my bosses and how I position those bosses. And I, I realized just recently that I actually, in my emotional being, because, you know, business is an emotional contact sport that by putting someone, if I meet a boss or I work for someone that's really magnetic and charming and attractive and smart I tend to put them in, in an even higher position almost. And I look back on it. It's like, I, like they were my mother. I give them the power that a parent would have to affect me emotionally. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting because I, you know, we are emotional beings when we go into the office. And if you're not careful, you can end up putting your boss in the power position of a parent and it can bring up a lot of your own childhood wounds and cause you not to act appropriately. It's really difficult to do. But your boss is, if you look at your career from a strategic standpoint, your boss is simply your boss. They're not your owner. They don't own you. They employ you. Um, they do not have power over your life. They have power at the 
that moment over your finances. So it's it, the rules about the workplace as they change. I foresee people like Brock being more in a power position where <laughs> being the talent, the boss is more of a person that, that needs that talent in order to make their money. And so there's more of a collaborative relationship. And I think that's where we're going. I could be wrong, but I think that is where we're going. And um, mindfulness comes in too. I mean, Brock mentioned that earlier too, is, you know, we're becoming a more mindful society. And, and I think that, you know, people who are in a leadership position take that now, at least, at least from what I've been reading and experiencing the younger generation takes that on as a, a responsibility to help others learn and grow. I, I would say that's true. Like, well, I think one thing maybe you're like, maybe trying to get me to, to say, since we talk often, Lori is like, I, and th- with the workplace and like the economy with um, how things are now, a lot of people my age are like contract or like freelance too. And it's to your point, Lori, that like you're, boss or your company might have to kind of like court you to keep you around if you're really good at what you do mm-hmm. and like if you're in a toxic situation it's like they might need you more than you may need them um and you know it's practicing that mindfulness like if you want someone to be around you want to give them dignity and respect and Exactly. If for me, if I were to work more, more hours, like if, you know, we had like a project on the weekend or something, it's like, I'm more apt to do want to come in and be okay and excited about the work. If I like my superiors, like if, if they motivate mm-hmm. me to, to be there and uh, get the, get more of the job done or whatever we're doing, or if it's a pitch kind of thing, um, if I have a lot of respect for um, my uh, managers, then I'm going to be more excited about coming in and I'll definitely want to, instead of, you know, being upset the whole time. Yeah. It's all about trust though, too. Don't you think? Do you think trust trust comes into into play too? I mean, Oh yeah. You've got to be safe with your superiors and you trust them that, you know, they have your best interests at heart and they want you to learn and they want you to succeed. Yeah. You don't, that way that's where the breakdown begins yeah I I think a lot of people just inherently want guidance too and I think it's to Lori's point where you kind of make your um bosses into more of a parent or something because you know if they're steering the ship you're kind of looking to for guidance and you're right it's totally um Mm -hmm. trying to have like a a trust with them and it's almost like they're kind of like a teacher too because it's like you know, they're, they're again, like guiding the ship. And if it's mm-hmm. a sinking ship, then it affects a lot more emotionally. Them. Right. You want to learn from them. I mean, I always found that when I did have yeah. a leadership role before I was on my own or in between, it was always about, you know, what can I learn from you, Gia? And I wanted, because that's how I kind of grew up too. I, I gravitated to leaders, whether they were my immediate bosses or not, the people I could learn from. Totally. And, who could make a difference in my growth and my choices. And those were who I gravitated to. And to be quite honest, Lori, I know you know this about me. You know, unfortunately, my career stalled, you know, pretty pretty badly even after 
on and off even after the recession because I did come into my own and I know what I'm capable of and I know what my own expectations are. And I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this, but I stopped just taking <laughs> shit. And, and I did lose a lot of jobs because I did stand up to my superiors and say, no, that's not right. Like right. that is not okay to talk to me that way. It's not okay to treat people that way. I can't work in an environment that doesn't respect each other. And, and I, and it's one of the reasons I'm on my own. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. See, that's a rule that you decided to break that you yes. had to put up with that. Yeah. That you had to put up with a lot of shit, you know? And, um, and I, what I is come, circling back to the work mom angle on this, what I, what I think Gia and I would advise everybody to do would be just really think about what you want your career to look like and, and don't let the rules get in the way of you getting there. I have wanted to be independent for the longest time. And in my head, all through my forties, I had to be attached to a job to get insurance and benefits and not have to deal with all that. And I just had to have a job because I couldn't do it on my own. And then I got unceremoniously booted out of an ad agency (laughs) because they lost a big chunk of business. And I had, I, it was just like the universe said, okay, Lori, it's time, go do this. And I realized that that was, that's really a rule that I had in my head that I had to work for somebody else to have stability and, and make a good living. And now reality is here I am two years later and I'm working for myself and making a good living. And I, I have been able to really decide who I want to work with. I've broken the rules about every client is a good client. That used to be one of my rules that every client was a good client because they're giving you money. And now I'm like, you know what? There are clients that I fire because if they're not <laughs> contributing to, to the career that I want, I want my career to look a certain way right now. And if they're not you know, in that pa- on that path or they're getting in the way of that, um, then they have to go. And I had one client, I had him for 90 days and I knew kind of going in, it was going to be trouble. And at the end of that 90 days, I said, you know, I, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm not going to renew. And it's sometimes hard to give up the, the revenue. And I do believe when you open up space for something new by getting rid of the toxic or the negative, something new comes, something new that's more positive, that's more fitting, and it it helps clarify what you really want. So this is a teachable moment. Okay, this is a teachable moment. Another teachable moment. That's what I like to call a teachable moment. Brought to you by Work Mom Says Don't Be an Idiot. A teachable moment here, people. Um, You don't have to follow any rules as much as consider the different options you have that may help you create a way of making a living that serves you and what you want out of life. Let's say that one more time. Consider different options that you have that help you create a way of making a living that serves you and what you want out of life. Make your own rules. You know, make your own rules about what you want. And when you find yourself in an environment that isn't serving what you really want, start looking to move on. Just don't make up any of your own bullshit rules. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. I think if I, if I can just jump in for kind of just a bit of advice, I mean, and this is what I tell a lot of young people that I talk to today is, you know, if at any time, whether it's during an interview or even in a new job that you feel you have to compromise your integrity or compromise who you are, then you're not in the right place. You're not, you're not working. You shouldn't have to do that to make a living. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's tough right now because I do think we're coming from a bit of a place of privilege being in our fifties and having the careers that we have. Um, <laughs> and we do. And just, even if it's, even if you have to stay in your current place of employment because you've got bills to pay, you know, at least start getting those resumes out there. At least start, you know, pursuing options and looking at what you might want moving forward so you can start creating it because you're not stuck. And the brule that says you have to, you know, you have to stay at the job you are right now because the national economy is sucking. That's a brule you can break. And the other thing I tell people, this is very timely with this particular um, thing going on right now in our country with the coronavirus is that just because the national economy is sucking does not mean that your personal economy has to suck. And I told myself that over and over through 2008, 2011, when things were crazy, but it's a really good one to remember when, you yeah. know, it's because the national economy sucks doesn't mean your personal economy has to suck. Yeah. So, okay, we're going to move on to managing up. Now, this is a, one of my favorite conversations because it really, a lot of people don't think that you're a manager if you don't have anybody working for you. You are a manager because you're managing all the business relationships that you have. And managing up how I define it, and I, looked, I went on the internet and looked around a little bit to see how it was defined out there, is it means managing the relationship and being proactive in the workplace, seeing your manager's perspective as you navigate the relationship you have with them. So basically what that means is you are responsible for managing your relationship with your boss. And if your boss, you know, there are, of course, are limitations to that. If your boss is just, you know, 100% one of the worst people you've ever met, you may not be effective in managing them. <laughs> but in most workplaces, um, the manager, that the person you work for, for will have certain personality traits, certain things they like or dislike, uh, certain ways of being that you can work with to create a strong and good positive relationship with that manager. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, it, it's a lot of different things you can do from making their job easier to, um, you know, for your, make things easier for your boss and for anybody else on the team will always help you rise through the ranks. And it can be little, it can be something really small. Like, you know, I know I have certain clients I'll refer to as kind of like bosses and I know they never read my emails. They never read my emails. And so if I need something, my question in the subject line, because that's all they're going to see. Yeah. <laughs> so, or I'll put urgent in front of it. I mean, so tiny little things like paying attention to how they communicate. I used to work for a guy um, that ran a, a corporation in the production business that had eight different branches, he, you know, divisions. He had all these people coming at him all the time. And I was always having to get approval on budgets. I did marketing. So I always had to have these budget approvals or approvals on things that were really important. And, um, he had piles of paper on his desk. So I actually went to the office supply store and bought fluorescent yellow paper and all of my things I turned into him there on his desk, because this was the days of paper and pencil, I would actually put a fluorescent yellow paper on top of it with what I needed out of that stack. Need approval on this, need review on this, need this on that. And then when I walked into his office, when he had a free minute and I saw him, I'd go, oh, oh that fluorescent one, just reach down there and get that fluorescent piece of paper, pull that up. And he'd pull <laughs> that up and I'd get my approvals. That's managing, it's a form of managing up. Is, you know, how does your boss work and how can you work with them to make their job easier, make yourself, you know, stand out 
and, you know, help you rise through your career because it does help. And I think Brock, you've actually said this to me once that, um, if, if you are doing things that are making other people's jobs more difficult, it's easier to replace you. Yeah. That's actually just be, I was thinking about that a second ago. Um, that's like kind of become my motto, not just as like, a any sort of flex to like younger people, if I ever say that, but it's like just more my hard realization. It was like, Oh yeah, maybe I, I didn't perk my ears up or I wasn't, um, too attentive to this detail or that. And sometimes I attribute like maybe my contract ended because like I wasn't proactive in a certain situation or something like I was always a hard worker, but, um, in this industry, I just, even if you are a quote unquote full-time employee somewhere, I always just have this, like I'm a contractor mindset just because in advertising and creative, it's so easy to be replaced. And I know it's not the most emotionally healthy way to look at yourself, but (laughs) it's, it's a, it's a sad reality. But if you know that going into it as a young person, if you're making someone else's job harder, um, you might be easier to replace than someone that's superior to you. So just having that in your mind going forward, it kind of frees up a lot of anticipated stress. Absolutely. And I, you know, the other thing, any, do you have anything to say about managing up, um, Gia? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just listening. I'm absorbing all of this. I think, <laughs> you know, I think part of it too is kind of doing a little detective work, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you really have to, like Lori, you know, pointed out too, you really have to understand your manager, you know, do a lot of listening, a lot of observing, like Lori said, understand how they work. What are the things that irritate them? You know, pay attention to, you know, what either makes them really happy and excited or what makes them concerned. And you also have to have a lot of empathy, you know, to be able to put yourself in their shoes and understand their expectations. You've got to have empathy. Yeah. There's some of that. And some people just don't have that ability. Um, but you can still kind of do your own sort of profiling, right? You got to use a little psychology and figure out exactly what kind of person you're dealing with and decide how to adjust your routine so that you can have a collaborative relationship. I think that's too what's changing is, you know, uh-huh. you've got to look at it as a collaboration. You're helping each other. You're supporting each other. Yeah. And, I, and I agree. I think part of, I always felt that part of my job was to make my boss's job easier. Uh-huh. That was part of my responsibility to do the work. I used to have a, a, a manager early in my career and I use this saying to this day and I really, really believe it. And I think she was a genius for even coming up with it. She said, look, if everything you do throughout your life, throughout your career is just for you, you're going to fail. But if you put the business first, if you put the brand first, if all the decisions that you make is for what's best for the business, what's best for the brand, whether you get to reap the benefits of that or whether or not you get you know, recognition for that, it's not about you. It's about the business. Then you're going to be successful. And that was always kind of my view is what's best for the business. Mm-hmm. It's that I have a different take on that, Gia. That's really interesting. That the breast for the business is really one way, good way to do it. And I, as an individual person, I always thought, and I always say this in different situations, that you, if you do what's best for the relationship, that if you, mm-hmm. if you and your boss 
you know, are, are butting heads or you and a client are butting heads and it's something, you know, it can be about any kind of a topic, but if you put the relationship first, you'll always make really good decisions and you may yeah. not win if you do that. You may not, you may lose, you may, you know, walk away from a business, you know, from a business situation. Like for example, the client that I mentioned earlier that I let go after 90 days, I knew if I stayed with him, I was going to be in his face. You know, I was going to have to, to call him out on some things and I didn't want to do that. But, you know, this man is out in the community. He knows me. It's better for me to say at the end of 90 days, you know what, Steve, it's going to be, it's going to be all right, but I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't think we're a good fit from a business perspective. So I'm going to, you know, bow out at the end of the 90 days and, you know, no harm, no foul. And we're still friends. You know, there's not where if I would have stuck with that for another three months, I know the kind of things that he did and said would have had me calling him out and it wouldn't have been pretty. (laughs) So, you know, sometimes you you have to walk away. I'm well, just you saying that I'm thinking about, you know, the now late Kenny Rogers, right? The gambler, you got to know when to hold them and you got (laughs) to know when to fold them, right? Sometimes you're going to lose and you just Uh, got to suck it up and you walk away. And as long as you keep your, you can hold your head high. Right. And you can respect yourself. But yeah, sometimes you lose. It's funny mm-hmm. too, because you both of your, uh, both of your uh, advice. It's funny because I look at it as like, oh yeah, like I could totally see this part. Maybe Lori's is like the entrepreneurial side. Like if I have a lot of control and then for Gia, it's like, maybe if you're coming into something as like, you know, you have a lot of superiors that you're trying to work with or like make these relationships work. So mm-hmm. you kind of retain like it's interesting because it, it i can see both of those as uh different levels of of dealing with this professionalism too oh yeah there's a, there's all kinds of and being entrepreneurial having an entrepreneurial mindset is r- going to be and should be already but definitely going to be as we move forward a more important skill yeah. as an employee um, because you're going to be expected to think differently and to bring new ideas. And, you know, we're all doing more than we ever have. I think the, the future is going to be us all bringing more ideas than we ever have. You That's, know, just, I can see that for sure. Yeah. So let's wrap up. I, before we wrap up, I wanted to talk about, you know, the elephant in the room is the coronavirus. And we're all in this situation where there's a lot of, unknowns. Um, there's a lot of things coming down the pike that we, you know, we have no idea what they are. We don't even know what they look like because we've not experienced this before. And what I thought we could do with this podcast with Gia and Randy and I is maybe bring a little comfort to the situation because we've seen so many things, not exactly like this, but as business people who've been around for a while, we've got you know, we've been through the recession of 2008. We've been through, you know, 9-11 and the great Midwest blackout, all the things that, that were so horrible when they were happening, and we got through them. Um, Randy, I don't know if you have anything to say about this. I know you and I were in business yeah. right next to each other very closely when that happened. Um, but how are, yeah. how are things with you now with your business? Actually, um, I, I hate to say that the coronavirus has been a help, but in this particular case, in my particular case, my business has increased um, quite a bit. Um, what I'm seeing, unfortunately, is um, is uh, people, uh, pawn shops that want to buy your gold. Um, that's been uh. a, My mother 
in her wisdom. She and she used to say this all the time, and it's just a simple little thing. But she always said, "This too shall pass," uh-huh. and it was tr- it's been true of of every um, every bad thing that's ever happened. I mean, we change, we adjust, um, but we got through. Like you said, Lori, we got through nine eleven. Those memories. Uh, and the changes that have taken place in our society since then haven't gone away, but that initial fear and uh, trepidation has passed, um, and so will this one. It's you know we might who knows how many people we're going to lose, um, mm-hmm. but it will pass and we will move on. Things will be different, um, mm-hmm. but as a as a society as a species, I don't think we're going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, I have to say, I, um, I've i been, one of the tricks I'm using that is really, really helpful is staying in the now. You know, Eckhart Tolle wrote the book, The Power of Now. I find myself, I'm really good at going to the end of the movie and making it a tragedy. You know, oh, it's never yeah, a comedy. It's always the a end tragedy. Of the movie? That's never a good idea. <laughs> yeah, especially with now, I think it's easy to, because it's like, with social media and just communication, it's really easy to stoke a lot of fear. Not saying you're, you're not going to take the whole pandemic seriously, but you know, at a certain point, like what can we do other than just try to be preventative? It's, there's just a lot more bad news than good news. So it's easy to jump forward. Well, and I love, you know, I've up and down on Facebook and Instagram. I love seeing all of these, posts and videos of people who are having, you know, they're all on Zoom having happy hour together or you know, people are actually you know, there are people out there that are trying to find the silver lining. And I think that's kind of the you know, that's the lesson in all of this. You know, there there is a silver lining. Like you said, Randy, this too shall pass. Things will be different, definitely. And that's I think that's why these kind of things happen. I think everything yeah. happens for a reason. I'm not specifically a very religious person, but I think, you know, we are, we're at a very strange tipping point in this country. And, you know, whenever that happens, something happens to bring us together. Not, that happened with 9-11. This was a yeah. very, you know, polarized country after the 2000 election. Mm-hmm. And when 9-11 happened, it brought us together. And we've, you know, we've drifted apart again. The recession made it even worse. Now we need to come together. And maybe that's the message here. As long as we are strong and stick together and play play by the rules. These these aren't the rules right now. These are important (laughs) rules. Um, You know, and think about others, not just ourselves. Think about each other and how we can help each other. We'll get past it. Exactly. And I I look, I just keep telling myself, you know, when I, when I find myself going too far out there and, oh, what if, what if, is I keep saying, okay, right now I have, I, I have a roof over my head. I have the food I need. I have a loving husband. I have friends in the world. We have money to pay our bills right now. We're okay. Yeah, And that that is, if you can stay there, it's a lot more calming than what if, because what if a lot of those things aren't going to happen? The stories that I make up in my head, you know, so. Mm -hmm. A few years ago, my son um, 
with great foresight, brought uh, bought a uh, a bidet, not a, not a, a one that attaches actually to your toilet seat. And he's <laughs> laughing at all of us right now. I don't need oh. your stinking toilet paper. As someone with a bidet, <laughs> as someone with a bidet, let me tell you. I know. Yeah. I've heard. <laughs> You still have to dry off. Yeah, yeah, but you mean you still got to do your due diligence. It takes a couple of squares, though. It's not like you're going to have to go through a half a roll a day anymore. You know. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Well, speaking of bullshit. um... (laughs) (laughs) So we'll wrap up with that. (laughs) So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Gia, Brock, Randy, for being here. Pleasure. If you want to, if you have an idea for us to talk about in the next episode, or you just want to get in touch with me, I am an open networker on LinkedIn, Lori Joe Vest, and I am just connect with me, send me a note, send me a message. Always looking for guests if you have interesting ideas for topics. Thank you for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Work Mom Says... Don't be an idiot. For more information, you can email Work Mom at L-O-R-I WorkMomSays.com. That's Lori at WorkMomSays.com. And remember... <sighs> don't be an idiot. Don't be an idiot.